Church, I'm so glad to see all of you, and I'm really thankful for the uh, technology that we've got that is keeping us together. I, I was so uh, encouraged and refreshed Wednesday night as, as we have really got a good thing going with that uh, online video call where we're all able to meet together, and I'm glad for us to be back together even now. If you would, turn in the Bible to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, that's where we are, that's where we were, that's where we've been, and, and we will continue to be for quite some time. We're at a good spot, though. We, were, we are at the final two verses of chapter 3, and this is the place where the Apostle Paul says that our citizenship is in heaven. What a, what a great phrase. You've heard that before. I know that you have. Um, and it's just awesome to think of us being citizens of heaven. People who are a part of the kingdom of heaven belong there. We belong to God's kingdom. We belong to God's place because of Christ. We are citizens of heaven. And if, and if so, then we need to make sure that we um, know what citizens of heaven look like, what they do, how they are to be recognized. Just a few weeks ago, we were playing in our men's church league, uh, basketball league, and uh, lots of different teams, and all the teams are really different, and, and one night I was talking to my sons, and I, I said, we're going to play that team that looks like a whole bunch of CrossFit guys, and my son said, what do you mean they're CrossFit guys? I said, well, they all look like they do CrossFit. And they said, well, how, do you, how can you tell by looking at somebody if they do CrossFit? I said, you can definitely tell by looking at somebody if they do CrossFit. All of them are big and strong. All of them are wearing short shorts. All of them are wearing tight shirts. And they look like they do CrossFit. And they said, oh, okay. So my, I was teaching my kids that. And sometimes that's, that, that's a joke that people that do CrossFit have a look to them. But sometimes it's real. Sometimes you can recognize somebody who works out through a CrossFit program simply by identifying them. And yet how much more if there is such thing as citizenship in God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, how much more uh, ought we be able to recognize those people? And that's what our, our passage is on today. I want to define for you the word citizen. Listen to this. Here's the definition of citizen. A native or naturalized member of a nation who owes allegiance to its government and is entitled to its protection. Good definition of a citizen. Or what about this? A citizen is an inhabitant of a city or town, especially one entitled to its privileges. Now think about those definitions in light of the Bible saying that we are citizens of heaven. If you'll read with me, beginning in Philippians chapter 3, the last two verses, verses 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. It seems in many ways that Paul is coming to the end of a big discussion. Remember I said that at the beginning of chapter three? Chapter three begins with finally, and chapter four begins with the ending of this section. And so you can tell that, that Paul is uh, keeping all of this stuff together. But we have, we have broken it up, and tonight I want us to look at our citizenship being in heaven. Now listen to this, what one commentator says. Our citizenship in heaven is not based upon wishful thinking, 
nor is it an imagination of future possibilities, but our citizenship in heaven is based on the righteousness that comes from God. What that means is we think that we are a part of God's kingdom. We believe that we are God's children and in God's place and we are citizens of heaven, but it is not based at all on anything that we have done. We are citizens in heaven because God is a gracious savior who gave his son to die for us. And upon repenting of our sins and trusting in Christ, the righteousness of God has been given to us. And because of Jesus, we are now citizens in heaven. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what Paul has already been explaining here in chapter three. And so today, I want us to see four ways to recognize a citizen of heaven. If citizens of heaven is a real thing, here are four ways that you can recognize them, and we'll find them right here from Philippians chapter three. Number one, citizens of heaven are eagerly waiting for their savior. Citizens of heaven are eagerly waiting for their savior. That's the first thing that he says there in verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it, from our citizenship in heaven, we await a savior. We are waiting for Jesus to return. No doubt we've got life here. We've got uh, responsibility here. There are things that we need to do. And no doubt there are things that we are even waiting for and looking forward to here, right? Just the other day I was talking to my kids about uh, how much I cannot wait to be a grandpa. I can't wait to be a grandfather, right? And, and, and who knows whether that day will come? Who knows if, whether my kids will ever get married or ever even have children of their own? Who knows if we'll even make it to that point? But there are things that we look forward to, and I will admit that. The Bible wants us to know, and the Bible teaches us, and I hope you know it in your deepest longings, that there is something that we desire more than anything else for our Lord Jesus to come back and rescue us. We are waiting for Jesus. We're waiting for him. And the Bible describes the citizens of heaven as those who are waiting for a savior. This is awesome because this phrase, waiting or eagerly waiting or deeply longing, probably sounds familiar to you, and I hope that it does. That's good if you think that sounds familiar. Listen to this. When Paul, the Apostle Paul, uses the verb eagerly awaiting in his letters, he is expressing the ultimate eschatological hope of Christians. He is is talking about the biggest, most important thing to us, that our Lord Jesus will come back to rescue us. That's what he's talking about. But notice how often he speaks this way. Listen to this. Galatians 5.5, Christians still eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. Romans 8, 23, Christians wait eagerly for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Romans 8, 19, all creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Romans 8, 20 and 21, anticipating that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 7, Christians eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. And then here in our passage today, Philippians 3, 21, by using the first person plural, we eagerly await a savior. By speaking this way, the apostle Paul characterizes the whole Christian community, all believers, as a community of hope. 
All the members of this community are looking forward to the appearance of their Savior. To be a Christian is to be waiting for Jesus. To be a citizen of heaven is to be waiting for Jesus. And so while we have all of the duties and responsibilities that we have amongst all, amongst all that we have going on, there is this ultimate, bigger, larger hope, and that is, Lord Jesus, come back. Come get us. We are waiting for you. The Apostle Paul has already described his own orientation when he says, forgetting what is behind in chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, and straining forward to what is ahead. Now he unites all believers with him in his attitude of eager anticipation. Even though their present experience includes suffering, listen to this, they are all still dominated by hope. The only hope for a mind, listen to this, preoccupied with an earthly agenda is the intervention, intervention of an earthly savior. If you are not waiting for Jesus, if you are not hopeful that any day now he will come back, if you are not desiring to be with him and the sooner the better, then perhaps you are not a citizen of heaven. If you're not eagerly waiting, then what settles you? Then why aren't you waiting? What has you so calm now that you're not waiting? I remember some time ago when I was visiting a lady, one of the awesome perks of being a pastor is that you get, get to visit people a lot. You get to go to uh, homes, and you get to go to nursing homes, you get to go to hospitals, you get to visit with people a lot. And I remember uh, a while back visiting with a lady sat down in her house and we were just talking and she was telling me about uh, her life and, and, and telling me about uh, her and her husband's lives. She told me back years ago that he had to be shipped off to war. He was gone for a little over a year. She had to stay here without him for over a year. I asked her, I said, what was that time like while he was gone? You were here without him. What was that like? Listen to what she said. She said, I thought about his return every day. She said, I was literally waiting for him to come back daily. The Bible describes us in a very similar way. That citizens of heaven are eagerly waiting for their savior. But secondly, the second way to recognize a citizen of heaven is that citizens of heaven have their minds set on things above. Quite Frankly, they are set, their mindset is on heavenly things. Citizens of heaven are focused on heavenly things. Their mindset is on things above. And this comes directly from verse 19. It's not what we're uh, reading here today, but it's from our passage from last Sunday. Look at verse 19. In describing those who are enemies of the cross of Christ, which is mentioned in verse 18, verse 19 says, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, they glory in their shame, and look at this with minds set on earthly things. If it is a characteristic of citizens of heaven to be set on heavenly things, it is also a characteristic of those who are not citizens of heaven for their mindset to be focused on earthly things. That's just the truth. We see this from verse 19. The Bible often wants to open up a huge contrast between those who know God and those who don't those who are in God's mercy and grace, those who love Jesus and those who don't. And here we see it as what the mindset is. What drives you? What, think, what do you think about? What is on your mind? And citizens of heaven have their minds set on things above. 
Perhaps you remember even just me saying this, that phrase, things above, reminds you of Colossians chapter three. Listen to these verses. The first four verses from Colossians three. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Colossians 3, set your mind on things above. Christians, think about heaven. Christians, think about God and what he is doing. Christians, think about God and what his plans are. Another thing I want to point out here from Colossians chapter 3 is notice that setting your mind on heaven goes along with speaking to the return of Christ. He says it here in Colossians 3, 4, and in our very passage today from Philippians 3, verse 21, is where he talks about uh, he's coming and he will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. In both passages, Philippians and Colossians, the setting your mind on heaven and setting your mind on things above is based on knowing that Jesus is coming back for us. So we're not looking to heaven as if what is up there we don't know. As I said earlier, it's not a wishful thinking. It's not an imagination of possibilities. We are looking to heaven because we know who's there. We are looking to heaven because we know that the king is in his kingdom, that God is on his throne. We are looking to heaven because the one who owns heaven has told us he's going to leave heaven once again and come back for us, and we look for that. Perhaps you remember as I keep saying that citizens of heaven have their minds set on things above, set on heavenly things, perhaps you've been recalling this great hymn. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Through death into life everlasting, he passed and we follow him there. Over us sin no more has dominion, for more than conquerors we are. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It is a characteristic of believers that we are looking to heaven, thinking about heaven, that our mindset is set on heaven. Perhaps you remember this from the book of Acts when Stephen, that early church martyr, after he had given his long speech in Acts chapter seven, they were angry at him. The Bible says they gnashed their teeth at him and they began to stone him. But the Bible says this, listen. Acts chapter seven, verses 55 and 56. But Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. Not only was Stephen um, spiritually having his mind set on heaven, but he literally, physically looked up to heaven. He, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And Stephen said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. St 
Stephen being such a citizen of heaven that even in the midst of persecution, opposition, and even in the midst of them taking his life was thinking about God, was thinking about his Savior, was thinking about heaven. He was looking to heaven, and even in the midst of stones being thrown at him, he is seeing Jesus. This is a characteristic of God's people. Citizens of heaven think about heaven. Now, I want to be honest that it is in a time like right now where this seems more real than ever. We are unsettled. We are afraid. The coronavirus has everybody shaken. And right now, we are wondering what's coming, what's next. What, what if I don't live much longer? And over the past couple of weeks, and I know that we're just uh, getting into this as it's going to go on for quite some time, but over the past couple of weeks... I've been able to talk to a lot of different people. And many sound like this. Listen to me. I'm worried sick. We already don't have enough money. I think soon everyone is going to have it. The whole world is falling apart. I'm kind of starting to panic. You've heard people say that recently. I've heard people say that recently. But then I've also heard some speak like this. This is wild. I have never seen anything like this, and I don't know what's happening, but I know this. God is in control. He isn't worried. God is not shaken. God will not fail us. God will not fail us. We are his. If we die, we are with him forever in heaven. If we live, he is with us by faith. Both of these people are concerned. Both realize these are crazy times. One cannot handle it and has very little hope. One trusts in God. One is hopeful. One reveals that their citizenship is in heaven because they trust the God of heaven. One does not model or reveal a faith in the God of heaven. And this is the very idea that we see expressed in the beginning of Philippians, and perhaps you remember this from weeks ago. In Philippians chapter one, the apostle Paul says this, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul mentions his deliverance in Philippians one because he is in prison, he's in chains, he is literally chained up right here, and he does not know if he will be released, he does not know if he will be killed there because that was common, he doesn't know. He doesn't know if they will kill him, he doesn't know if they will leave him there until he dies, or he doesn't know if he'll get out. And in that horrible spot, here's what he says. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Y'all, there are people in prison, in chains, and even in that horrible, uh, undesirable spot, they are thinking about heaven and getting there. There are other people right now living in very unfortunate circumstances, and they are not thinking about heaven. They're not thinking about the God of heaven A characteristic of a citizen of heaven is their minds are set on the things above. Number three, citizens of heaven glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. 
Number one, citizens of heaven are eagerly waiting for their savior. Number two, citizens of heaven have their minds set on things above. And number three, citizens of heaven glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. Here again, we see this coming from what we saw last week. It says in verse 18 that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, enemies of it, and they glory in their own shame. They are not about the cross. They say that they are about God, but they aren't. Their godliness or appearance of godliness is now in things that they consider good, things that perhaps may be things of God, but we know that we do not have a relationship with God until we have been forgiven of our sins. Nobody sinful comes into a relationship with God without forgiveness, okay? So where does forgiveness come from? Forgiveness comes from God having sent his son to die on the cross for us so that whoever believes would be forgiven. And so we have to focus on the cross. We have to glory in the cross. And so there are people who think that they're going to heaven or think that they know God but they don't believe the cross. They don't look to the cross. They don't emphasize the cross. They don't even know about the cross. They've not considered the cross. They don't think that their sins sent Jesus to the cross. They don't think that God dealt with their sins on the cross. Citizens of heaven love the cross of Jesus. Citizens of heaven declare that they have been crucified with Christ. As he died on the cross, we died there with him. Notice in verse 19 that they are so far away from being citizens of heaven, meaning all about God and his kingdom, that it's really all about them. This is one of the ways that we see enemies of the cross of Christ. Look at verse 19. It says, their end, their God, their belly, they glory, right? Their minds are set on earthly things. It's not about God. If you, know, if you read the Bible and you know anything about what it means to be about God, it is to be consumed with God. It is to be all about God. It is to be wrapped up in him that we must be about him. Christian people are about the cross. We just are. Citizens of heaven are about the cross. They just are. The Bible teaches us, listen to this, that in heaven, it's all about Jesus. When we read in the book of Revelation, we see everything worshiping Jesus. We hear songs like, holy, holy, holy. We hear songs like, worthy is the lamb who was slain, right? We hear songs like, wisdom and power and wealth and strength and honor and glory and blessing. We hear all of that in heaven, sung about Jesus. Well, the story of Jesus finds its climax in the cross of Christ, the burial after his death, and his resurrection. And so anybody that will get to heaven glories in the cross of Christ that got them to heaven. I remember being a college student, which now honestly seems forever ago, quite honestly, was really 20 years ago. But I remember when I went to South Africa and we worked there and I was there for two months. I was working like some, some sports camps and coaching basketball and all of that. And some of these big cities are just so incredibly crowded. And we were in Durban, South Africa, and Johannesburg, South Africa, and there were people everywhere. When we would walk on the streets in downtown, it was like what you see in a movie. There were just people everywhere. You couldn't recognize anything. It was just so uh, overwhelming. And I remember I was walking down the street one time, and 
You know, when you're from America, you kind of stand out, and th- there are white people in South Africa, uh, but you still, we still stood out. And I remember we were walking down the street. I will never forget this. This guy walks up to us with his awesome South African Zulu accent, speaking English. He says, excuse me, guys. We were used to people asking us where we're from and do you have any money and all of that sort of stuff. There are people begging and things like that all over the place in these large cities. He says, excuse me, guys. Are you of the cross? True story. To this day, I've never been asked that. To that day, I had never been asked that before. We don't really speak that way around here. Are you of the cross? We hesitated for just a second and we thought, what does he mean? And then we thought, What else could he mean? Yes, we are of the cross. We said, yes, we are of the cross. He said, amen, and he kept walking. He didn't ask us for anything. It's like he knew that sometimes people come there as missionaries. Sometimes people come there on trips, and he wanted us to be there for a good cause. He wanted us to be there for a reason. He was asking us, are you of the cross? And as I look back on that, I am thankful to say, That we are. As you're listening today, listen to me. Are you of the cross? Do you love that Jesus died? Do you know why he died? Are you aware of what killed him? Do you know what caused God to turn his back on his son? Do you know why the cross was needed? Are you aware that because of our sin, judgment had to happen, the wrath of God had to be poured out, and Christ was crucified because God loves us? Do you appreciate that? admire that, love that, do you glory in the cross of Jesus? Citizens of heaven, glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. Number four, lastly, citizens of heaven know the power of Jesus Christ. This is how the chapter ends. If you will look back at chapter three in Philippians, at our verses here tonight, verses 20 and 21, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. When we say that we're citizens of heaven and we are waiting for him to come back, we realize that's a bit outlandish. That, that's, that's some pretty big hopes, right? That's a big dream that one day the trumpet is gonna sound and there's gonna be a cry of command from an archangel and the sky's gonna open up and Jesus is gonna come back. We realize that the majority of the world thinks that that is ridiculous and they disagree. But the reason why we are so sure of that happening is because of how powerful we know Jesus to be. We know Jesus to be the most powerful being. He is God Almighty. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And when he returns for us, which we are eagerly waiting for, it won't just be like, wow, that was cool. We will see him call us together with him, and he will take these lowly, earthly, fleshly, fallen bodies, and he will transform us literally into a glorified body to live with him forever and ever in heaven. We believe that, and we hope in that, and we know that power. We're not not just hoping that that's gonna happen. We know it, and here's how we know it. 
Because the Bible teaches us, listen to this, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that lives inside of us, is the power that works in us. I remember last Easter, us singing the song, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. I remember us singing that song. I remember us thinking that the same power, as the Bible says in Romans, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead has raised us to newness of life. It is the power of God that has cleansed our conscience, given us new hearts, given us eyes to see and ears to hear and to believe. The power of God is what is at work in us. And Christians know that. Christians know the power of Jesus Christ. Citizens of heaven know this. But I want to take this one step further to something that we have not talked about yet and really in some ways just whet your appetite for this. Some of you remember back in Philippians chapter 2 when I talked about the Christ hymn. Chapter 2 verses 5 through 11, this incredible passage, perhaps some people say the most poetic, beautiful passage in the entire New Testament. And I told you that's a hymn most likely that Paul didn't write, that he knew about it, and he plugged it in here. Maybe he wrote it, I don't know. But two, chapter 2, 5 through 11, is known as the Christ hymn. Well, as I was preparing for this, I saw that some people think chapter 3, 20, and 21 are also a hymn. And even possibly another stanza to that hymn. Nobody knows if it's the same hymn. But the language here is so different from the rest of the chapter that they think that Paul didn't write it and they think that it's a piece of it and they're actually saying that it looks like he's saying the same thing. In verse 21, you have this. Lowly bodies transformed into a glorious body from the power of God. That's what you have in verse 21. Lowly bodies transformed into glorious bodies by the power of God. How much power? The power that enables him to even to subject all things to himself. Meaning the powerful, the most powerful, the most power, everything. God is the strongest. Well, don't you remember what the Christ hymn said? That Jesus did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He humbled himself. He emptied himself. He took the form of a slave. Being born in the likeness of men, he, he, he was found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to, even to the point of death, death on a cross. So you have lowly right there in, in the Christ hymn. But check this out, verse nine. Then... Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Chapter 3, verse 21. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We know the power of God. Because we have seen it in Christ. We know the story of Jesus. We know what history teaches us. We know that Christ was a real human being. We know that he was really killed and he really rose again and he really lives now. It is true that Christ is alive. And the very power of God that did that with Christ in the gospel is the same power of God that we wait for to come back and transform our bodies. Citizen of heaven, do you know the power of Christ? in your heart, in your life, in your convictions, in your peace, in your joy? Do you know the power of Jesus? It is a characteristic of the citizens of heaven. 
Number one, citizens of heaven are eagerly awaiting for their savior. Number two, citizens of heaven have their minds set on things above, heavenly things. Number three, citizens of heaven glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. And number four, citizens of heaven know the power of Jesus Christ. These four are ways to recognize those who belong to heaven. They are characteristics of heaven's citizens. And as you're listening even now, I want to ask, do you think you belong there? Do you belong to heaven? Do you belong to God and his family? Are you welcome there? Or is it one of those situations where you think, man, I'm not gonna fit in. I'm, I'm gonna be uncomfortable there. This is gonna be awkward when I go there. Well, maybe these four characteristics have encouraged you because you can identify them in your life. Or maybe these characteristics of the citizens of heaven has convicted you. And while today I'm preaching about what a citizen of heaven looks like, let me be so clear to tell you, you can be a citizen of heaven. And even while this describes those who wait, those who glory, right, those who know the power, those who are focused on heaven, even though that describes what godly people or Christian people look like, Let me remind you here today that it doesn't look like a skin color. It doesn't look like a hairstyle. It doesn't look like a language that you speak. It doesn't look like what citizen you are a part of, where your citizenship is on earth. Anybody can be a citizen of heaven. The Bible in the book of Revelation towards the very end says that there will be nothing there impure. Nothing ugly or bad or wrong or sinful will make it to heaven. You know what that does? That levels the playing field. That reminds me of you. I mean, that reminds me and you that we're not getting there on our own. Our citizenship, as I said at the beginning, is based on the righteousness that comes from God. I want you to be a citizen of heaven We want you to belong to God. We want you to know that when you die, you will be on your way to heaven. We want you now to feel like you belong there. And if you will, cry out to God and ask him for the forgiveness of sins, trusting in the work of Jesus, he will save you. He will forgive you of your sins. Will you trust in him? Let me close with this. I was contacted this week by a news outlet in regards to our Dare to Care food pantry. They had seen online that we do this and they reached out. They're doing a story on those during these times and how the demand is increasing. They said that they are hearing from New York and California especially that they are so overwhelmed and it's becoming um, an even bigger need. Well, they heard that we are here in Louisville, Kentucky, and they reached out. Today, we spoke on the phone. They were asking me questions, questions about this and that, questions about how many people are coming and how much food do you have, are you running out? You know, all of those logistical things, it was good and helpful. I was able to speak about God being our help, and so we desire to help others. I was able to tell them that we want to help anybody. If there's anybody around here who has a need, we want to help. As we got to the end of a 15, 20-minute conversation, them just asking all about how do, we, how do we make it work, you know, do we discriminate, who can come, you know, all of those questions for the news story. She said, well, let me ask you one final question. She said, if you could give any advice to the 
government leaders, to Mitch McConnell or Donald Trump from what you guys are seeing, what advice would you give them? I said, well, I don't think I have any advice during this time. In my opinion, in a crisis, it's not the time to point fingers, blame and accuse of why people are struggling so much. I said, in a crisis, it is the time to help. And right now, we have people coming to us asking for food. They need food, and we want to help them get food. And then she said this, why? She said, why? I said, well, during these times, people aren't really asking why, and that's fine. We understand that. But if McConnell or Trump or any of our leaders did ever ask us why we are still trying to help, then I would say this, and I say this to you now. Jesus has quite honestly made such a lasting difference in our lives that now we want to make a difference in other people's lives. I don't know if that'll make the news story, but I hope that it does. We are citizens of heaven not because we do anything well. We are citizens of heaven because our hope is fully in Jesus. And for anybody that will trust him, they will belong to heaven. If you're in Christ, he is the king of the kingdom of heaven. And you belong there too. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for Philippians chapter three. And for the idea of being citizens of heaven. Oh God, we praise you. We worship you. God, what a thought that we belong there. Father, I pray that if we are citizens of heaven, that we would know these characteristics that we find in your word. And God, I pray that if we don't belong to heaven, we would be convicted of it. Father, move in our hearts to be truly focused on Jesus, that he would get the glory with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.